Welcome to Puzzling Company, your home for at-home puzzles and mysteries. Here are your hosts, Jared and Zach. What's up, everybody? Jared here from Puzzling Company, coming back at you with another awesome episode of Puzzling Material. But I'm not alone. I'm not a solo job here. With me always, my co-host, Zach. (laughs) Uh, Just a couple of weirdos who just love playing puzzles, talking about them. We really love getting to put this out there for you guys. So for everybody that's been listening, thank you so much for listening and for your support. Mm -hmm. Today, we're going to be talking about a really cool project. (gasps) What game are we talking about? We are talking about the Cryptogram Puzzle Post by Jack Fallows. And... Dadgummit, this is one of the most beautiful things we've ever looked at in the puzzle world. And we're going to talk about that. But everybody hang around. We're really excited about this episode. Going to be talking about artwork in our middle section today. Just a lot of lot of fun things coming your way. So hang on. We'll be right back with you. All right. Jared, I got to cut out a little early today. I have an interview. An interview? You didn't tell me about that. Where at? With Soup. Oh, nice. I've heard really great things about the soup shed off of I-24. So come on down to the soup shed. No, Jared. Soup is a society for the observation of unknown phenomena. They actually sent me my first case as a test. Take a look at this folder. Why is this folder full of pictures of me? Well, they are all about documenting the weird and bizarre. If you'd like a chance to join soup, head on over to crackinutmysteries.com. How did they get this picture of me in the shower? All right, everybody, welcome back to Puzzling Company. Here in our first section, we just love to talk about the games. We love to talk a little bit of game theory. We talk about what is just so great and worthwhile about these games. And then, as always, we offer some constructive criticism because it is our belief the perfect game is not out there. And again, we're not the perfect reviewers. Uh, you can speak for yourself, Jared, okay? <laughs> How dare you? Are we are. Uh, I think we are highly qualified. I think we, like I said, we do our research. We think a lot about what we're about to say, but we ain't perfect. And that is that is just the truth. And we are just a couple of subjective puzzle junkies putting it out there. That's true. Um, but as we open up into our section, we do want to start talking about the three things that we loved about this game. And as I mentioned in our opener, we love the artwork of Cryptogram Puzzle Post. If you're not familiar with this project at all, it is the love child of a very passionate individual named Jack Fallows across the pond from us. Um, But it is just unbelievable in terms of what he produces with his talents as an artist. Mm -hmm. Oh, I agree. I think the artwork is phenomenal. It, it's been a blast generally just looking at the pictures because um, we've – so we played part of this online. Um, the first season we played on – or the first year yes. um, online. And then Jack was very nice to send us um, – it was a year two. He sent us some scattered physical okay, copy, yeah. kind of like what he had available. Yeah, yes. and those, I mean, we currently have them around our room, and they're beautiful to look at, yeah, to say the, the least. They're just gorgeous. Mm-hmm. It's It's really, really unreal that – Jack, in my opinion, is able to produce this what was month to month to not only draw it, color it, just so many aspects of this thing are just so well done and so theme fitting. And the artwork is the centerpiece of that. Mm -hmm. Because if you've never seen a cryptogram puzzle bus before, you get it and the artwork that is opening up the story and describing the story is on the front of every envelope that you get. Mm -hmm. 
and it is uh, an envelope worth saving. And it is, it's just really, really cool. But you cannot, in our opinion, talk about cryptogram puzzle post without talking about the artwork. It is just gore. Like I, I don't, I don't have a really another good way of saying it other than it's just like, I would sit around and look at them and just let it tell the story similar to a comic book, mm-hmm. right? You, you could glean enough information from these to get a good bit of the journey that you're about to go on. Yeah. I love it. So Zach, what else did we like about this project? The puzzle flow and the narrative. Yes. Um, so the puzzle flow throughout the entire game felt really good from when we got the first issue and when we did it online to when we finished it in year one. Um, everything was very well done. The flow felt good. And then the narrative is just the other big point that goes with the artwork, right? The So the fun part with this game or this experience is that the narrative is one story that goes across all of them. Yes. Um, so from year one all the way to year three, right? Um, th- it's the same character that you are following. Now that character, if I, Jack talks about it a lot, and I know he'll go into details when we get into the interview with him. Um, but I, if I remember correctly, the character is basically like a resemblance of like you taking on that role of that character. Right. Kind of he following. Described, described it like you taking on an avatar. Yeah. It's yes. kind of like you're the avatar. Yeah. So, but it's just so well done. Like from the first time that we, we started the issue and we get to see the first artwork and it's like, oh, okay, this is like an interesting starting point of our character. And slowly through year one, we learn a lot about yes. the character and the journey that we've been going on and kind of what we take from each adventure. Yes. Um, and yeah, the, the, the puzzle flow of it too, to go with it, like every puzzle just fluidly went from one to the other. Like there was never a moment that we felt like, yeah, this puzzle didn't like connect to this one at all. It was very clear that when you solved one, it very much led you into the next one. Yes. Um, because most of them, and this is kind of a spoiler for the game and I mean, we're not going to say any of the answers, but like the point of the puzzle is that your puzzle gives you an answer that helps you with the next puzzle. That's how the game flow goes. And I love that because. A lot of the other games that we play, especially games that are in a linear progression style, which mm-hmm. this does follow, yes, you solve a puzzle and you get an answer and that enables you to go to the next puzzle. Mm-hmm. This is different in the way that you solve puzzle one and you're going to get a piece of information that you need to start puzzle number two. Mm-hmm. And if you get the wrong answer, which is very possible in these puzzles, yep. It will still fit into puzzle two, but mm-hmm. you're not, you're going to be going down the wrong path. Yeah. It's, it's a really cool way of doing puzzle flow that we don't see a whole lot of that. Hey, the answer is the opening piece to your next puzzle. And never did we run, never do you run into a puzzle where, okay, you just get the answer. And then that allows you into the next section of what you're doing yeah. while simultaneously through those puzzles telling the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, because we usually had to regroup at the end and say, okay, we solved all the puzzles, but what did that tell us about the journey yeah. that the main character was going on? That was fun to recap it that way too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I thought that was really cool and I really like that. And then I would say the final thing that we liked is I'm going to call them extras. Is that fair? Okay. I, I think I know where you're going with this. Yeah. So what I mean by that is, when you open up your envelope, your cryptogram puzzle post, you're just getting so much. You are getting poetry that fits in, mm-hmm. a playlist that you can listen to that fits in, and it creates this vibe 
that when you're playing, it's an immersive vibe, I would say. Mm -hmm. And I like that because again, he could have just given us, he could have just given us the artwork. Like he could have just, but no, there's puzzles. Now there's some poetry that gets you in the mood. And there is also, like I said, the playlist. And even beyond that, there are guides made by even some of his like most avid players and himself to help get you into and onboard you onto these experiences. Mm-hmm. So I just feel like there's a lot of like, I would just describe per- cryptogram puzzle posts as like a mood. Yeah. I think uh, we talked about this actually, I think with society of curiosities um, when we had reviewed Maddox lost treasure, I think one of the best things that that company does that's the same is they are very huge on the, giving you everything that you want to get as immersed as you want in an yes. experience. Take this as deep as you want to. Correct. Yes. Like they both offered a lot. Now a little bit different. I think when we played society, they also offered like a drink list and, and an aesthetic, yes. like an outfit, yeah, an outfit that you could wear. Absolutely. Which is obviously we love that. Uh, but the same thing, the crazy part is I feel like in a game like that, that stuff, I, I wouldn't say you ever expect, but it, it felt like it would go there with this. I was not expecting the extras. Yes. So when you get all this extra stuff to make what seems like a, just a, like you said, just an envelope with art on it become everything. Yes. That it, it's just crazy that with the medium that it is, I wasn't expecting all those. I extras. agree. And, and, and I think it's super important for this type of theming as well, because in at home conceptually, witchcraft is not an uncommon theme, mm-hmm. right? And what it does is it really distinguishes and sets it apart from like we just got done playing and reviewing witchery spell yes. on a previous episode that has a completely different vibe than cryptogram puzzle post. Mm-hmm. We're all familiar with Harry Potter. Yep. Still in the witchcraft wizardry world, very different vibe. What all of this does is it sets it own apart for its own world building and own characterization. Mm-hmm. And I love that. Yeah. Because this has its own distinct and again the artwork helps that. It it is it is world building and it was cool because of all those own things to experience something for a more common theme that was very distinct. Mm-hmm. Like mega mega bonus points on all of those things. Mm-hmm. So let's transition now into uh where we felt like there was room for growth. And before we get into this, I think it's super important to preface what we're about to say with the fact that this was this review covered mostly season one mm-hmm. and season one is a couple years old now. And, and in talking to the creator, they're very aware of that. And you're going to hear them talk about a new project that they have coming where they're going to be revamping some of this stuff. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of this stuff that we're about to talk about is actually going to be changed. And there is a realization of that within the creator that I really respect. Yeah. So I always want to, contextualize what we're about to talk about because we have played some older games Mm -hmm. and I think we do need to contextualize that versus their newer stuff. Because one of the things, as you mentioned, Zach is uh, Jack did send us newer stuff and we already saw some of those changes that we want to see in some of those newer issues. Mm -hmm. Fair. Is that, you think that's fair? No, that is fair. Okay. So when we jump into these, we do want to make that distinction and we also want to make the distinction about especially what we're talking about in our first uh, room for growth 
that it doesn't exist in the other ones. And Zach, I'll let you take it away in talking about those things. Yeah. So the first room for improvement that like Jared said, kind of goes away as time goes on is the, so there's a, when we played year one or season one, we actually did it online. Yes. Uh, it was digital. So and, we, and why is that? Um, why I was online. Yeah. Well, we just didn't have like the, the physical ones. Cause he doesn't, right. He doesn't make, he doesn't anymore. make the season yeah. one anymore. He doesn't, so. he does not like these. It's really cool that it still exists. Correct. But you know, this was a limited print yes. type of situation and it's really cool that we still got to experience, but at the same time, like we missed that. We missed the boat. Yeah. We, yeah. Missed, <laughs> yeah. We missed the boat on the, so yeah, that's the reason why just cause we didn't have it and he doesn't recreate them. Yes. You know, so yeah, I mean, the it was mainly the digital part. So what we mean by that specifically is a lot of the clues and puzzles we thought were really solid, right? Uh, the room for improvement part was that some of the puzzles required you to fold or to cut or to do things to the product, to the envelope itself or like the, the paper material that's in it to get a result. And because of that, and we don't have it, we can't do those things. So we have to like mentally think about it. So we have to go, okay, how do, what would it look like if we folded this here? We put this here, we put this here. What would that look like? And we get, we generally have a good idea. Um, we did also have to use the guide to kind of help us figure yes, out how like, to get started, yes. how to get started on some of them, but also the digital guide helped us with specifically the puzzles that we couldn't technically do um, because we did, you know, without, really thinking about it. Like some of them we even drew out to try to figure out what it would be like <laughs> if you did that. Try to recreate it on paper. The only other thing we ran into, which the guide covered this as well, and this is something that obviously the, that the creator knew because it was, it was a common in it, was that um, in one of the games that we played, actually this was in season two, so tell me, it, this isn't in the review, but I remember this specifically because we looked at year two's um, guide, is that uh, there was a, a clue um, that in the actual envelope doesn't have like a piece that he added later. So like early on, people couldn't really get the connection between this and this. Cause you're missing like a, an important detail. You could still get the answer, but it took a lot longer to make that connection. Yes. And then it, when I saw in the, in the guide, he was, they made it very clear. Like, Hey, like this is what's supposed to be here. And then, and then we were like, Oh, that's really cool. So when we back to, when we back to year one, like I said, that maybe happened like once, but most of the puzzles were really like really well done, but like I said, just because it was digital, you will run into situations. Yes. Uh, and, and what I'll say f uh, in, in agreement with that is, yeah, like it's great that these things are still around, but you are limited yes. in a digital, in a digital function, but that's not the end of the world. You still get to experience it. But if you are out there listening, you need to jump on cryptogram puzzle posts fast for some of the physical copies that are still there because mm -hmm. they're not going to be around forever and they are more than worth picking up yes. and having just to display about wherever you display your games. If that's the collector nerdiness like Zach and I have as well, mm -hmm. but transitioning into the second thing, I think the aesthetic and vibe is definitely, and, and the narrative is a strong point of this. The puzzle aspect of Cryptogram Puzzle Post is definitely a little bit weaker. Um, there are just some puzzles that um, need just a little bit more love and tweaking, and I think they're going to get that mm -hmm. as Jack moves towards his new project, so that's really exciting. But the big thing that was a struggle for us personally was just some of the pacing. Um, I'm a firm believer and when we had the wild optimists on this, they talked about the bell curve yeah. of difficulty. I'm a firm believer in that model. Mm -hmm. It's not, you know, the end all be all, but I think it's, it's wise to give your team wins in terms of 
level of difficulty and in terms of time consumed. Yeah. And then really in the mid game, hit them with difficulty, higher processes, longer processes. And in cryptogram puzzle posts, it feels that feels very scattered and not monitored. Mm-hmm. Um, we ran into some puzzles that um, took a long time. And the, re- and the reason that's important is in most envelopes, I think you get six to seven puzzles. I think it was, yeah, it sounds right. It sounds about right. And you may have spent your majority of that game on one of yeah. those puzzles. And that just feels a little heavy for something like this. I feel like it could be made to, again, follow that bell curve. And then you have something that's really, really enjoyable. So I just, I just think some of the pacing and some of the episodes is a little bit off. And I'm also not the biggest fan of the original sentiment. Uh, and I'm not sure if this is still true. And you can correct me if I'm wrong, Zach, but you work through your puzzles and then you email your final answer off and have to wait for a response. Yes. In the, in, at least in the original one in year one, that was the case. When you get to your final puzzle, you get like a, either a word or a phrase that you had to send in to see if it was correct. Because I think back then, right? Like uh, Jack will talk about it, but it was, I mean, it was smaller scale. Like, you know, the few people who did it, you know, they were just like waiting to yes. see if they got it right. So that when you got to the end, you got like a big thing. And there was a reward too, though. Yes, there for was. For doing that. There was a reward. Absolutely. And that's a very good point. But I just, just to bring that up as like a point moving forward is I think people need to have the ability to have the final answer. Sure. And look at the final answer. And, but what I will say positive note on that is the way that all of the final answers play together yes. to create something is really cool too. It is really cool. And I think it was really smart on his part to do that. What's the last thing? Um, and I would say this is more of a recommendation to our listeners rather than a critique. Yes, that's a good way to, to say it. I think that these games should be played like month by month. That's how they're, you know, they're originally designed to be like by season, you know, like yes. different times of the year, like monthly. Um, we played it all back to back within like a week. We played a lot. A lot. Um, it was very fun, but you notice when you play them back to back very quickly that, you know, a lot of the puzzles are very well done. They're just, you know, potentially some of them are reused, the same style of puzzle. Yes. And so we started realizing the more we played that like, Oh, you know, not, Oh, like in a bad way, but you just go, okay, well, like we've done this puzzle before. Now it's just, it's it be- changed it, a little bit. It became too t- familiar. Correct. It becomes really familiar very quickly Sure. after you do like, you know, if you go like, uh, you know, three, you do three envelopes in a day, you realize, yeah, there's a lot more that's connected or this, you know, familiar than before. Yes. Um, so yeah, I think a big recommendation is if you do play these very much put time in between them. I know that for us, with some of the ones that we still haven't, like, you know, we haven't played all of them yet. Uh, I think the fun thing for us is we've kind of decided with some of the ones that we haven't played yet for like in year two and year three is to do it like, you know, once a month, we just go and play like a full, like just over time, play the rest of them. Cause I think it, I mean, obviously we really enjoyed season one and I'm very excited to see year two and year three. Absolutely. How those all play. And I think, I think it's important to note like, we don't want to prescribe how you play games, right? Yes. If you're a puzzle binger mm-hmm. and you go on a bender one weekend, like more power to you. Oh, like, I agree. We, we tend to play puzzles in high frequency yes. as well, but we just found for that a couple of things. Like one, again, exactly what Zach said, we ran into issues where it was just too similar and it didn't feel like it was varied enough. And number two, we just kind of lost appreciation for 
really what this is all about. And that was the narrative and, and, and appreciation of the artwork. Mm-hmm. Like you just kind of blaze through it and really, I would, I, I would love to just play this month to month yeah. to get a new one in the mail and be like, Oh, this looks really cool. Yeah. Whereas, um, I would say the opposite of that in a similar format is I would love to binge Scarlet Envelope. Yeah. Why? Because it's really well done and it's varied. Every episode is very, very different mm-hmm. from each other. You're, you're getting different levels of difficulties, different ways of solving. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would, I would save up all of my Scarlet Envelopes and have no problem going on a binge session. Yeah. Um, but this, I would be like, yeah, I would like to play this month to month. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. That's really all we have. This is a really unique take in my opinion, in the puzzle world. This is mm-hmm. absolutely something worth picking up and trying. Maybe it's your vibe. Maybe it's your not. It is my vibe. Yeah, like really you fun. can ask Zach how long I've been looking forward uh, to, yes, to playing these games. And I, I just love the atmosphere that it all brings together when we get to play a game Mm -hmm. and it would be cool to get to do that month to month. I'm with it. I'm definitely with it. Well, you guys hang on. We're coming right back to puzzles to the people. We'll be right back. Solve puzzles, write reviews, win prizes. It's time for puzzles to the people. Hey Zach, Jared, I'm not falling for this again. Oh, so what now you don't trust me? Correct. I don't trust you. Well, then do I have a game for you. What are you talking about? Floor 13 from CU Adventures. It's the story of a company with too much trust. But I don't trust you. Well, Zach, trust me on this. You need to head on over to cuadventures.com and play Floor 13 or their other game, The Lost Temple, and you will not be disappointed. Welcome back, guys. Uh, We are now in the segment that is Puzzles to the People. This is a, a fun segment for me, to say the least. Uh, in this part, this is kind of a an area where Jared takes some of your your comments, your questions um, about the game that we played. Um, sometimes he likes to spice it up. Honestly, it's been a lot lately. It's <laughs> it's kind of getting tiring how much he he just spends it on me. Um, so, but you know, generally he he might spice it up by adding like questions that he sees from like Amazon reviews, or like he'll make questions that are about the topic that we're playing, and that involve like the experience, so on and so forth. Um, but this is kind of where he'll ask me those. I'll respond to it. And it's kind of like a back and forth kind of debate about if we agree or disagree with the statements, you know, uh, about this, about this part. Yep, absolutely. And you are right. I'm spicing it up again. Today. Oh, no. It's just it's hard. Like we run into these games that feature something that another game has not. Mm-hmm. And we're at the unique intersection of that again. And I cannot miss an opportunity just because I feel like we have had a lot of good discussions lately. Oh, agreed. Uh, and it's just been a lot of fun. So I'm going to throw some spicy questions at you. Okay. The other reason is because we get to talk to Jack here in a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I want to save a good amount of time for talking to Jack. Yes. Because I'm, I'm a big fan. And I just like listening to his thoughts because he has such a unique perspective. Mm-hmm. But I'm, that doesn't take away from the spiciness of these questions. So here's question number one. A highly controversial question, potentially. Good artwork or design is needed to make a good game. Interesting. And I mean that specifically in the at-home puzzle and mystery space. Sure. Yeah. Hmm. This is hard. I, Jared, I feel like will know my answer to this. I'm going to say yes. I think artwork or like um, aesthetic to games is very important. Um, 
this is the part where I might ask you a question, Jared. With artwork, am I allowed to think of aesthetics of games, like what how they like look like and stuff like that? Or you do want me to do just pure artwork that they make for the game? Yeah, I want to stay because I feel like you're kind of wandering into the type of paper. Yes. No, that's, yeah, I, yeah. I purely mean design and artwork. And I know that's a thin line. Yes, that's very thin. Because a lot of the times the artwork is on the material, but I want you to stay away from materials. I purely want to talk about what is on the chosen materials. Is that needed? Is good quality artwork or design a necessity for a good game? No. Unless you're switching it up on me. Yeah, because here's the thing. I think good artwork is a very nice addition to to a good experience, but it is not required. There are games that I think we have played before where they're some of the better games we played, but their their artwork isn't on those things. Like it's it's part of like you know the design of the box or the the thing it comes in, right? And they might have like a letter from them that is designed with their artwork, which yes. looks good. Their might their artwork might show up in a few of the puzzles. But it's not like required. You could take them off like half those items and it'd still be the great puzzle that it is or the great experience. Absolutely. Still get the same narrative. So I, yeah, I don't think it's needed. Yeah, I I agree. I, I will say this though. I think it is a factor that takes a good game to a great game. Sure. I, I don't think, you said it well. It is, a, it is an awesome addition mm-hmm. when you get it. But I agree. There have been games that we have played that the artwork is like nowhere near the artwork that we're experiencing for the episode today. And it is still good. Now, do I think that a lot of games could step up their game by increasing the level of their designer artwork? Absolutely. Yeah. Like, absolutely. But, you know, everybody's working with a different mindset, a different budget, a different set of skills. And thankfully today we've run into somebody that this is their skill set. Their number one skill set is that they are trained, self-trained artists. Yes. And, but I, but I always want to talk about that because different things matter to different people. So we might get somebody else that's not you or me on there and say, well, well, absolutely. I won't pick up a game unless the artwork is through the roof, because that's what I appreciate. But I think you and I personally are on the same page to say like, yes, you can have a really good, even great game, and the artwork could be not as great as what's in Cryptogram, and it could be all right. But yeah, if you can get this type of artwork um, on different games, it would just elevate everything. Yeah, and I think you said it well. I think it's just like everyone has a different mindset of what their game is like some games don't need the artwork like right but i i but i do understand that someone could go like well i look at artwork as like a, a level of standard like and that's not saying the games that don't do that standard are not good but i could understand how someone thinks that like mindset they go okay well if they can spend the money or like they have like someone who can create the artwork to make it then i can believe that that game is gonna yes but then i could argue that the game's clues could not be that great but the artwork's good you know depending on the game so it's true i i like i said i i think yeah i agree with my statement i think it's a great addition or a good addition to to an experience but it's not required i'm with you on that i'm with you on that this next question is an interesting one okay and i'm very curious to see how you're going to answer it okay good artwork or visual design influences blank more than anything else in a game Good artwork or visual design influences blank more than anything else in a game. I have to fill in the blank. You have to oh, fill in geez. the blank. I don't know if I have an answer that quickly. I'm coming. I'm coming with the heavy guns today. Good artwork or visual design influences blank more than anything else. Hmm. 
and I'll accept a phrase or a thought. No, this not, is so hard. I'm not going to, I'm not going to limit you to just one word. Wow. This is, I don't know how to answer. You've actually put me in a spot where I feel like I do not have any, any answer to this. Not that I, I don't think there can be one. I just am actually shocked by the, the question. Um, I, I have an answer. If you want me to go first. I kind of do. Okay. Just because I, I legitimately am thinking about it. Okay. This is, and this is just how I personally feel about it. I think good artwork or visual design influences world building mm. more than anything else in a game because kind of like what we were talking about when the things we really liked when we were talking about cryptogram puzzle post being able to, cause the first thing that you do when you get a cryptogram puzzle post is you see it and instantly you look at it and you have some presuppositions about what this world is mm -hmm. about who this character is about what she's experiencing and it doesn't always have to be a visual representation. Like I'm looking around the room at other games that we've played and those artworks, those designs have influenced in how I think about the world that we're in when we're playing that game. Mm -hmm. When we played Hinks and we talked about that a couple of weeks ago, the design of that added to the whimsical nature of the world that we were in. Mm -hmm. So when I think about artwork or visual design, I think it influences the world that we're in more than anything else. That's how I think about it. That's very intriguing. I very much kind of want to play devil's advocate. Go. Yes. Yes. What do you got? Okay. I agree. I think a good, I, I agree to an extent that good artwork or visual design can very much influence world building, but I think good narrative could build worlds better than artwork. Okay. I'm not, I don't, but you still haven't answered the first question. If, if, if you think narrative affects more, and I think those two can play together, right? Visuals. Yes. And visual narrative. and narrative yes. usually go together. Absolutely. Yes. I mean, there's movies, yeah. <laughs> like, but well, you still have to answer the question then what does good artwork and visual design influence more than anything else? I guess at the end of the day, I think I agree with you because I, I guess my answer would be, uh, um, wow, I feel stupid. I, when I explain my answer, it's literally world building, but it's, it's, <laughs> it's giving a visual of what you're playing, which is world building. It's giving you an idea of what that looks like. I, my only, like, I guess my devil's advocate was not to that part would be that I think narrative which goes with visual i think can do more like a good story that doesn't have a visual i think can provide more so are you so let me ask you this then because i feel like we're saying two different things okay. i'm talking about world building just in terms of the structure environment mm -hmm. not necessarily in terms of the narrative yeah just just, just showing what the world is right and like, like if i just boundaries. wanted to go walk around a bit so are you saying i'm saying world building environment are you saying world building narrative I think I'm getting a little off topic, I guess. I guess I'm not interpreting this correctly. I think I agree with you more than I, I thought. Okay. Um, yeah, I, it's just hard. I My only part was I think narrative can play big into world building. Sure, I agree with you. I would agree um, with you on that. I could argue a little bit that I think it does a little bit more than visually giving like a, like if you gave me a picture, right, you can show me what the, the author thought. But like sometimes when you read books, right, there's like the part where they build the world for you. Yes. Or you read it and then you visualize what that looks like. Yes. And they let you play in the world that Correct. they're kind of building. Yeah. And I don't think those things are mutually exclusive. Oh, I agreed. But um, it is very interesting because when we, you start separating games out and you say, you in, insert anything there, puzzles influence blank more than anything else in a game. Uh, physical materials influence blank more than, like you, it starts to tear down what you value and what you think about the different components of the game, if you believe, if you believe that you can separate those elements in yeah. a game, or it's it, hard, or is it the sum of its parts versus the unique factor of each individual? 
Yeah, that's an interesting question. I I I don't want to go down this rabbit hole too much. I know this is like deep. <laughs> I I think I think in my short case, I think in some games it can be the unique parts that feed more into certain aspects. But I think a great game is able to do all the sum of everything makes sure. it work. It is the interaction between all, all of those. All I agree. Of them. Yeah. I agree. All right, I'm gonna we'll 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 calm down from that. Uh, I'm gonna take us into a, an adjacent world that we talk about a lot because we're both also involved in the escape room scene. Hmm. This is a true or false. Uh, what's your thoughts on this? Is artwork the equivalent of set design in the escape room world? Wow. Is it the equivalent? Yes. Because obviously, right, we talk about this a lot. That's the trade-off for an at-home game. Hmm. You do not get to be in a pre-described environment. The other things we talk about are time limits, narrative, things like that. But one of the big differences is you're at home. And unless you want to build out an environment in your playing area, mm-hmm. you're you're left to that more often to your imagination. But the question at hand is, is artwork the equivalent of set design in the escape room world? I'd say yes. Okay. Uh, um, just because I think, like you said, it, it's world building. So when you go into escape room, set design gives you that world. Yes. It gives you that space of being like, okay, well, if I'm playing you know, a game where I'm under the sea in a, you know, in an underwater lab. Um, Jared, you played devs without me. I hope you understand that I'm upset. He, he so Jared knowing this, uh, he went and played in an escape room at the escape game in Nashville uh, and played the new game devs and didn't invite me. Uh, there's obviously a reason why it's not a big deal. I'm, I'm not crying. Um, but no, like in games like that, or like, uh, like a game that we have at, you know, at the Murfreesboro escape rooms, um, there's like blind pig. It's a mafia based room. You, you start off on like a street corner, yeah. right? You get the aesthetic of three stores and there's a huge tree and there's like a, you know, you notice that there's a newspaper stand like that gives you a good environment to go into go, wow, I'm there. Yes. Right. And then the puzzles and stuff is the, you know, is the, is the meat of it. But that, that set design gives you what you're into. It gives you that like, wow, we're there. I'm, I'm immersed in the world and artwork can do that. Yes. Right. You look at the artwork, like from these, you know, from Cryptogram puzzle puzzles and you go, wow. Okay. I am in a cave with uh, this character that I'm following. And yes, there's some, you know, witchery stuff at play in the cave and, you know, Oh, look, there's a, a spirit of an animal that we're following to go to the, you know, this next place. And yes, now we're in the middle of the woods. You know, it's, and that artwork showing you that world building is, is, is nuts. I agree. And I think it's just exploring because I do agree. I think artwork is the equivalent of set design, mm. but what I think over the past couple of episodes that you and I have really been describing are the key components of games that when done well, really immerse us in things at home. Mm. Right. Cause we've talked about, I'm just thinking back. We, we, uh, we have games coming up that we're reviewing where we've read really solid narrative aspects that really made us feel immersed. And I'm talking about like coming up, um, I believe it's, or or the episode, I'm I'm sorry, it was the episode before this, we reviewed The Messenger. Mm. Really strong narrative element, really made us involved in the story. Because what I think we're talking about here is all of these elements of games that are different but all add to really unique immersive elements. That's that's all of the 17 episodes before this, we've been talking about different elements of that. Mm-hmm. If you think about like the narrative elements and like the games that we've already done that had like really well-written journals, like uh, Full Deck, 
mm-hmm. or even the messenger, which we reviewed last week, we talked about how we really liked the narrative elements. That was really well done. The puzzling aspect of Maddox that made it really conversational. That was mm-hmm. really immersive and really brought us into the game. Mm-hmm. And then things like the, the artwork of Jack is like, that really brought me into the game. Like, cause it's the first thing I saw and already I'm building out the world in my mind mm-hmm. as we play the game. So I think there's all of these elements and more often than not, our designers usually have an expertise in one of them. Mm-hmm. And it's when you get multiple of these elements hitting at the same time in, in a good cohesive world that you're like, Oh baby, that was, that was a really, really, really awesome game. Like a really, really good game. And it's just kind of fun to, and I think that's what we love to do as puzzle people is sit around and dissect that and talk about that. But I think we'd be remiss in why I wanted to talk about that if we didn't talk about artwork and design as a part of those important elements that as we agree may not tip the scales if it's not there, Mm -hmm. take away, but as an addition can really bump up a game's excellence. Agreed. Well, that was another enjoyable conversation with you. Uh, yes, it is always an enjoyable conversation, but I, I'm starting to not like the spiciness. Every, <laughs> I literally, you, I've been prepared for so long, and then now you literally just throw me off my edge every time. What about next season? You come up with the spiciness. Oh yes, I can't. actually you know what deal. <laughs> I can't wait to ask you the questions. I'm gonna give you like multiple choice questions, and you're, I'm, I'm gonna be like, none of them were the correct that, answer. That, that, it was try. it was F. <laughs> yeah, I could see that going poorly. Maybe we will stick to our same format. No, no, no. <laughs> but, but thanks for hanging around with us. Uh, we've got questions for creators coming up next. There are some awesome people who make the puzzles we love to solve. This is questions for creators. <sighs> I'm over it. Over what? Christmas. People can't let this holiday go, man. I'm still receiving Christmas-themed mail. Look at this red envelope I got yesterday. Jared, you are so uncultured. Uncultured? Because I refuse to celebrate Christmas year-round? No, you're uncultured because one, that color is scarlet, not red. And two, because that envelope is jammed packed with puzzles and mysteries. Scarlet Envelope features escape room-style experiences that you may receive every month in the mail. Each episode features a different story, but all their experiences are tied together in a bigger narrative that you are trying to unravel. I think I could get down with Christmas all year. Well, head on over to scarletenvelope.ca to start your adventures today. All right. Welcome back to Puzzling Company. We are in, I think this is my favorite segment. I love hearing from our creators. Like It is a fun segment. They're just, I just admire them. I just have a lot of admiration for them. They're mm-hmm. so diverse. They think in creatively yet differently from each other. And it's just really fun to get to hear their perspective and to get to know and talk to them. I think we're really lucky as a community to have really caring, honest, thoughtful creators that we do have. So Mm -hmm. shout out to all of the creators that have been and will be on Puzzling Company. We're super thankful for you. Yes. But today, as we've mentioned early in our episode, we have Jack Fallows coming on to talk about his creation and some of his future creations that are coming oh, out yeah. that some have already been revealed. Mm-hmm. Some may be revealed for the first time in this episode. I'm not sure one in particular, but it's just super fun to get to talk to him. And he's one of these people that I just can't wait to see what he produces in the future. Agreed. So we're going to go ahead and jump into it and get to know him a little bit. So tell us your name and how cryptogram came into existence. 
So my name is Jack Fallows, and Cryptogram is kind of like a percolation of a bunch of things that I'm interested in, a bunch of previous projects, and then one Christmas present that I made for my partner, which was basically like Cryptogram, the, the same format as Cryptogram, except it was about the Northern Lights trilogy by Philip Pullman, which is just a book we both really like. Um, and yeah, I wanted to create something inspired by that series and got really obsessed with the alethiometer, which is like the magical compass that the protagonist in that book uses to do kind of like divinations. Um, but uh, I'm not a watchmaker, so I didn't have the skills to build one, but I do know how to draw and like design games and stuff. So, um, yeah, so I basically just started putting together what's essentially a zine, but made up of loose pages in an envelope. Um, tried to make it look pretty, had all of the puzzles become sequential. So you solve the first page and your answer kind of creates the key that you need to solve what's on the next page and so on and so forth until you reach a final answer, which is exactly the same format as cryptogram, except... The issues are serialized, so it tells an ongoing story about a young witch called Anna, who's exploring the mysteries of a world not unlike our own, to give you the verbatim tagline for the series. Um, so yeah, that's that's basically what it is. So the, the research for this project was research for a graphic novel I was going to make about this witch called Anna. So I kind of did a lot of world development with the view to it being a sequential, uh, illustrated something. Um, and then after having made that Christmas present and my partner kind of like convinced me to explore that idea further, the two things just sort of came together. Um, and then, yeah, there's like a local printers co-op really close to where I live who were keen to look at how we could do that with like, you know, recycled materials and, uh, Resograph printing and trying to make it like a totally DIY thing. That's just a little, which it still is at the moment. And yeah, and now I'm like 36, almost 36 issues deep. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's cryptogram. So, what were the early struggles? The first kind of like teething problems I remember were like, you know, I really didn't know what the demand for this thing was going to be. To be honest, like I didn't even really know there was a scene or like let alone an industry for kind of like escape rooms and puzzle games and like play at home puzzle games. Like I was just making something up, <laughs> you know, like kind of organically. Um, and so, yeah, I really didn't know who the audience would be or like how many of these things would sell or like if people would be interested in subscribing. And then even like how to set up a, a stream for like subscriptions. Um, to begin with, it was like a really convoluted thing, like I set up a website, but then you had to like email a thing and then send the thing to PayPal. And it just, it was like, just really like inelegant way to do things. And then I also remember the printing process before I started working with Footprint, the, the workers co-op I just mentioned, I was just getting it printed at like a, you know, like high street printing place. But the envelopes have been printed on A3 sheets of paper, which 
weren't kind of cut to shape to become envelopes. So I had to cut each one by hand. But in order to do that in a way that it would fold properly and still look good and kind of professional, it meant doing it with kind of an exacto blade and a ruler. And you can't really do that with like more than one at a time. So it was like each one, each line, like every edge, I was just kind of like cutting out by hand. I was just like, there has to be like a better way. But because you're dealing with such small change at the start of an experiment like that it really is just like whatever your money is in your bank account like there's no distinction between your business money and your money if you're like a freelance artist you know <laughs> like for mo like most of the time anyway and then like if there is it's only after a lot of these kind of hard-won experiences so like yeah, it was just like, uh, you know, I understand that a die cut is a thing I can have made up in a, on a like an industrial kind of scale or whatever and, and have it be custom and fit to, this, to the specifications of this project. But like, what would that cost? And like, do I actually have the money to do that? Can I risk it? Like, does is there even any momentum here? And like, even now, it's a mystery to me, like how people discover cryptogram <laughs> like it's something i should probably know more about from a business perspective but uh it's just it was just kind of crazy like and unpredictable and and so i would have like you know a week where like there's two or three people suddenly like pop up out of nowhere and be like oh this project's really cool like i just tried it and like i want to subscribe and da 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 but then you know just like nothing then for like two months and and, and I guess it's just the same with any freelance work, really. Like the biggest problem is trying to distinguish between how well the business is doing and like how that reflects on you as an artist or like a person who's making some work of value or whatever, which I guess is another part of why I didn't end up completely tanking out, even though it was close a few times, is just that like whatever else happened I was interested in making the thing you know like I was still excited to be making the thing and so it was more like how long can I get away with it <laughs> you know before I have to get a real job basically um so yeah that that was a, a thing that kind of pulled me out it's just kind of often just looking back at me and like look I haven't compromised on anything even when it was like stupid to kind of take the risk or like spend the extra time or like you know dig dig the hole deeper kind of thing in terms of like yeah how much money was coming in and out of the project and like where I was on the time scale and what I owed people or whatever it was just always like being beholden to the project alone you know at the end of the day like all chips down like if I die tomorrow <laughs> nobody's gonna remember me for like how many digits from my bank account you know if I get knocked over by a car it's like did I create this like half-assed project that came out exactly on the month every month and just got worse as it went or like, <laughs> did I take everybody's money for like a full year's worth of issues and then give them 10 and stop for a year and <laughs> give them two really good ones a year later, you know? I'd like, I'd rather be the second person, I think, um, if it means that, you know, the project doesn't end up suffering. Because I just feel like if you're going to put this amount of effort in any way to like have any sort of level of like last minute compromise like that just seems to be ridiculous like 
the whole thing feels kind of wasted if you don't eke it over the finish line in terms of your own expectations, I think. Obviously, we've seen that you have this really cool background in art and comics, all of these design elements. How did that influence specifically this project? Yeah, so like comics has been the like constant, basically, for, for like my whole interest in art since I was super young. So like from about, you know, how however old I was when I could start like drawing, basically, like my son's coming up four now and he's already kind of starting to get like shapes of things down. But it was basically, yeah, just like always interested in drawing comics, you know, went through every kind of like phase you would I guess I mean I don't know I guess there's probably some like cultural difference here that we'd be dealing with but like there's some big like British um kids comics like the Beano and the Dandy which are like two comics that me and my brother read and they're just kind of like anthology comics you know like a bunch of different characters in each one and they tell like funny stories and stuff um and then moved on on that to like you know the more angsty I got it was like 2000 AD and like Judge Dredd and then like manga and then indie comics you know and like there was superhero stuff as well I guess but like um yeah just kind of went through that whole cycle and I think you know there was just something about it where it was like you know, when I get excited by an idea, I want to do it straight away. And if you get excited by, say, like a film that you've seen and you want to make a film straight away, there's quite a lot of prohibitive forces in your way of doing that, like mostly money. So like, you know, I come from like a working class background and pens and pencils and bits of paper are things that are very easy to like achieve and if you have if you've seen a cool movie you can turn that into a comic or like if you've read a cool book you can turn that into a comic or if you like had an idea that involves some kind of action that you are not athletic enough to perform yourself then you can create a character to do (laughs) to perform those athletic actions or like heroics or whatever you know and I think there was you know, there's something about, um, yeah, just being able to be anywhere and tap into that and just kind of play with it. And and it just seems to be like the more you do it, the more you discover how little you understand about the potential of like illustration and especially with comics. Um, and it's still something that I'm like amazed by year on year. There'll be some like creator I've never heard of brings out a book and it's just does something that's different you know that I've never really seen before so you know I worked in comic shops for a bunch of years and I did like comic book workshops where I like went into schools and libraries and like old folks homes and like all kinds of crazy places like teaching people about comics and like how to make them and basically how accessible it is and breaking down a lot of the sort of barriers to entry which I think for most people is like you assume you have to be able to draw really well to make a really successful comic book which just isn't true at all like you just need to understand or develop your own kind of language and so there's something about the like that fusion of elements and what that produces that's different to the some of its parts like you could talk about comics as words and pictures but then it's it's not two separate things if they're working in tandem with each other it becomes this new kind of hybrid thing and 
there's suddenly all these other considerations like with words you can have words printed on a book in the form of a novel and not know what's going to happen just by looking at the page right whereas with a comic it's like if you have a reveal or if you have a splash page or whatever you have to be thinking about like the printing process even you know at the point of just scripting and thumbnailing and stuff so that it's it's interlinked in this way that's like really interesting and just seems to like provide endless opportunities to experiment and tell new kinds of stories and so I guess like with cryptogram it's it's pulling in a lot of those elements anyway because there's illustrations in it it's sequential you know it tells an ongoing story um it's coming out in like loose format things and will later be collected into a book even though I didn't know that at the beginning but it's just you know happened that way um and you know I've always like created my own comics as well like I started self-publishing comics at age 13 you know going to like a library and just photocopying like zines and then folding them and getting a long arm stapler and like stapling them and giving them away at like gigs and stuff like I don't know and then it, it's just an expanded version of that you know it's just scaled up like I'm still just going to a local printer <clears throat> I'm still putting like all of the loose pages in envelopes by hand and folding it by hand for every issue like even at this point you know in the project so like I don't know it's just it, although it's completely new beast and a thing that I'm like really excited to continue to explore and understand better. It's also like right in the center of the Venn diagram of all of my like past experiences and, and like expertise. So it's kind of like, I've got a lot of places to hide in this project, you know? So we know this experience has a, uh, has a very big narrative to it. So kind of explain to us like about the main character and her journey. Yeah, so the, it's interesting when I think about the kind of writing process for this project. There's kind of like, I guess what you would call the base narrative. And then there's kind of like an allegorical, slightly symbolic thing that secretly steers the ship. Um so that was the thing that I had from the beginning. But like I kind of mentioned earlier, the first sort of 12 issues really were an experiment in what the format could do, like what the engine of Cryptogram could do, I guess. Um, and so I was a lot more interested in the kind of world building and mood building aspects of the like narrative for the, those first 12 issues. Um, partly because I felt like that was the best way for me to explore it without making like lots of hard commitments <laughs> to things, but also because I felt like it was the best way to introduce people to the format as well, um, to kind of be led more by like aesthetic things than by like, you know, trying to piece together an overarching narrative or kind of confusing matters with that, I guess. So yeah, the first year, Anna is basically like, and and remains to this day in some way kind of um, just an avatar, you know, like uh, the person that you are, I guess, in the game. But um, I think the 
the thing that happens is when that sub narrative and the normal narrative start to like meet in the middle, which is kind of what starts to happen in year two and then certainly more so in year three, which is like I kind of figure out based on the world that has been built and what we do, what I've now come to understand, I'll like teach myself about Anna and how she operates in this space or whatever um i can kind of start to make narrative choices that better drive home this kind of sub-narrative so the sub-narrative is basically like a survivor story really so um based partly on like my own past experiences as like a survivor of uh abuse and like based on stuff that i've read and other survival stories and also countless sort of horror tales and folk horror tales that are allegorical of this sort of thing um or any kind of i guess any kind of trauma and recovery story could be seen in this same way so you know although i think there's always with any form of trauma there's like that kind of psychological element but i also feel like you know, it's manifests in the story in the t- in, f- in the form of physical trauma as well as, you know, being confronted with basically like spooky stuff, you know, <laughs> spooky kind of horrifying stuff. So yeah, that that's kind of the the way I kind of wanted that to play into everything else. Because like I said, it's like you don't I don't consider the narrative stuff in isolation from the art or in isolation from the game mechanics, like all three things kind of need to be considered at the same time. So like the, the survivor angle really just plays perfectly with the witchcraft kind of theme plus the puzzle element, you know, to create just like lots and lots of different ways to interpret those three things together. So I think having somebody who is a witch and having witchcraft be like a really prevalent theme is obviously a lot to do with kind of, the history of witchcraft and people who traditionally were not in roles of power kind of reclaiming that power for themselves um, or being like misunderstood in their own, you know, uh, quest to survive (laughs) the world basically um, or being overlooked because of that. Um, And so that's where that, that element of the character and of the world, I guess, comes in and like where the the license to play with sort of uh, supernatural elements to create stronger symbols, hopefully, for the things that I'm trying to kind of get across. And so, you know, I'm not going to like sit here and like over explain every example of that in the whole series, but like specters are a thing that come up quite a lot, which is a little like nod again to Philip Pullman there, like Spectres appear in his books as well and it, as a different uh, thing. But, it, you know, as a word, it's just a really lovely way to conjure like any number of beasties for any number of people and any like number of cultures around the world. But ultimately, it's a kind of like uncomfortable prospect that you might like come across this thing. Um, and so there's like depending on how you play with that and a narrative, there just seems to be like a lot of different ways to kind of, um, yeah, hopefully get at the same theme or same underlying symbolism. Um, But 
while still kind of expanding on the world and driving a story forward. So, so yeah, the more I've learned about Anna, like the more of her story I suddenly have to tell. And I think that's like part of what putting this book together is going to be about as kind of consoling all of that. And, uh, maybe looking again at those first 12 issues and being like, is there space in here to, you know, retroactively kind of, <laughs> now that I understand who she was in issue three, I might be able to write it better <laughs> now. I don't know, like, yeah, we'll see. One of the things that I'm super curious about is we honestly think this thing is beautiful enough to where it didn't have to include puzzles. Like we would have just read it as a comic. But why did you decide to include a puzzle element in the series? I mean, again, I think it was partly to do with the fact that I'd like given that Christmas present of my partner and that I get got to watch her like solve it in real time and like in front of me and like the the sense of kind of revelation and I don't know, there's something about, there's something in comics which is just like universally known and lived with by all of the crazy people who've decided to like spend their time making comics, which is just that it takes so long and, and like it really does take so long. And for a talk I was doing at the convention once I worked out, you know, mathematically what the, what it was like to have like, X number of hours spent making a comic versus how long it takes a person to read it. And it was like somewhere like 9,000 times as long, right? So you spend like a lot of time making comics. And sometimes the point of working so hard and making it so consistent is because you want that to be a flow. Like you want people to glide across the page and read everything. And, you know, you want to have control over where they're stopping and starting and stuff. But pretty much it's like an image we read images really quickly as people right so we're just like programmed to do that um and after a while you get a bit bitter about it and like <laughs> i think there was something about like i wanted to tell a really you know rich story but i knew that if i did that in comics like a lot of the subtext and stuff will get easily jumped over but i also think because it was a story about witches and witchcraft <clears throat> and like seeing my like partner doing a lot of things that basically looked like an arcane ritual you know and already kind of having that understanding from like having designed games before or like board games before and role-playing games and stuff is like understanding the ritual element of that and the fact that there are like physical things present in front of you if not other people present in front of you and what that does to an experience and I guess I was just questing for something different than like you know showing up at a comic convention every year and like struggling to sell a book I've spent a whole year working on for like 250 or something you know like I think I wanted something that demanded uh more attention you know like if I was gonna commit so much to it it had to have enough elements in it that would interest me creatively in terms of like questing for this potential hopefully some potential in the the way it works but then also just um yeah I guess just wanting to make something that not many people will have seen or at least would take a second look at you know um and yeah just something that I like what that I would like to 
receive in the mail even you know which is like a classic bit of business advice or even like artistic advice that you get all the time is to like make the thing you want to see but you know it is kind of true it just I think the the difficult thing with that is like often until you've made a thousand things it turns out you didn't want to see in the world (laughs) you know like pieces of trash uh it takes you a while like circle around and to actually have enough of an understanding to like yeah make a decision like that and just be like i'm happy to live with the amount of unknown that i know is inherent to this now um you know like having taken risks with comics before and risks with music before and games before and da 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 it's like i don't know man you know like what (laughs) what's one more risk on this like you know idea like the worst thing that happens is like i'd put out six issues realize that it doesn't really have legs and then it would i'd move on to like the next thing but just like the more i do it and even like you know when i get to the start of a new issue and I have that like blank page anxiety I still get that every single time even though every single time I end up like doing at least one thing in the issue that's like somehow different to the previous one so it's just weird to be like this deep in it and know how much more (laughs) how many more years it could potentially shave off my life basically Obviously, Jack, we're big fans. The one thing I want to ask is what's coming in the future? Yeah, I mean, the two big things that are coming are there's a game that I'm collaborating with, uh, with Rita from Post Curious, which is like a coming of age um, puzzle game, which is set in the 90s. um, And it uses a tarot deck as the operative element for the whole thing. Um, as an art project, like the thing that's really exciting about it to me, because I've had a lot of people since I started making Cryptogram suggest that I make a tarot deck, but I've never really had the like special source as part of that offer that would like, you know, I would find motivating enough to draw 78 cards for basically. Like it's such a, a huge undertaking that it wasn't. I didn't feel like I had anything that people who have put out really lovely tarot decks already doesn't, you know, I'm not like bringing something new to the party really, but with this collaboration, it's like a tarot deck that you can use as a tarot deck. It's a puzzle game where you could, if you really wanted to, you could pretty much ignore the like tarot symbolism and the story elements. I don't know why you would do that, but you could. (laughs) Or you know, you can also kind of enjoy the story as a standalone thing. Um, But the optimal experience is obviously bringing all three of those things together. So much the same with Cryptogram, much the same with comics, really. It's like, that's the thing I'm questing after what happens when you add this to this to this. But the thing that I really love about it is that it also ends up being kind of modular. um, And therefore, slightly defies the definition of being a puzzle game and that it could also just be a tarot deck if you really wanted it to be or just the story if you really wanted to be um but yeah it's shaping up like super nice we actually hit a milestone yesterday of having like all the pencil compositions done for 78 cards i started inking today so there's like 
four cards have been inked now and we've started doing color tests and stuff so it's like the artwork is suddenly coming along at a pace after like lots and lots of time developing everything else um so yeah i'm hoping to really blast through that because the next thing is the cryptogram collection which is coming out from liminal 11 which will be kind of around this time next year um which will collect the first uh, how many was it the first 18 issues i believe will be in the first collection and it's gonna look different and there's gonna be like new stuff in there and it's gonna be not called cryptogram puzzle post probably um <laughs> although what it is called i'm gonna just leave as a question mark for now because it is to me um <laughs> so yeah that's basically my next like year's worth of work really um tower game will be on kickstarter pretty soonish um i mean just keep your eyes peeled on all of the channels um and you'll see us like ranting about it either on post curious or on cryptogram puzzle post channels or find me like basically what i try to do is post everything <clears throat> through instagram and then it it will automatically post everywhere else because that's how <laughs> professional i am with social media so just go to at jack underscore fellows and that'll probably be the first place to talk about anything or my Patreon, which is free, patreon.com forward slash Jack Fellows. And finally, you knew this question was coming. We ask everybody this just because we believe in supporting each other. What else are you playing? What else are you looking forward to? What should our listeners be checking out in your opinion? I mean, it's going to sound like a self-plug, isn't it, if I talk about Rita's game. Like, I picked that up again the other day, Tailboard, just because <clears throat> I did exactly what I was just saying people do with cryptogram which is get to a point where you're stuck and then be too stubborn to look up a hint and think you're gonna like get it if you come back to it in a month's time and not but i did that but there was also like a really amazing uh collective of artists in the netherlands put together like a puzzle <clears throat> mystery thing about ornithology and it was all resograph printed so that was like just perfect like all of the things that i love you know like ornithology resograph printing artists collectives the netherlands puzzles uh, yeah so i was like super into that but despite how into it i am i don't have the name of it but hopefully can uh yeah we'll find it we can dredge it up thanks for listening if you want to know anything more about any of the projects that i do including like music stuff and making models and workshops or whatever um cryptogrampuzzlepost.com just go to like about on the gallery or whatever and that's where i just dump basically everything um so yeah and thanks for having me Jack, thanks so much for coming on. We're hopeful to have you on in future episodes as your future projects release. Yes. Thanks so much for spending some time with us. If you're interested in any of Jack's work, I know he's big on Instagram, cryptogram mm -hmm. puzzle at cryptogram puzzle post. You can also find all of his other work and upcoming things at cryptogrampuzzlepost.com. Be sure to check that out. For Zach and I, hit us up, man. We love having yep. conversations. 
we've been having some fun little side conversations with some of our listeners and that's been really fun. Mm-hmm. We love that. Please reach out to us. Thank you for answering our questions when we ask them and letting us use them on air. But you can always, always help us out by setting us up on a regular download, setting us up on a regular listening schedule. You can find us on Spotify, Apple, Google. What's the other one that we're Stitcher. using? Stitcher. They're, they're, they're on most major platforms. Most major platforms. Find yeah. us and just put us on a regular download. That would mean a lot to us. Hit us up on social media. You can find us at Puzzling Company on Instagram and just Puzzling Company. If you search us on Facebook, shoot us a like, shoot us a follow. Any of those things would be awesome as we continue to try to reach new audiences with all of this information. Mm-hmm. So, Zach, I think that's going to wrap us up today. We start an interesting divergence next week. Thus far, we have not played a whole lot of this style of game, even though there is an abundance of that in our community. Do you know what we're playing next week? Oh man. Okay. Let's just say we have a lot of ground to cover. Let's also say that we have lots of cases to, to solve. (laughs) I think you know where we're going with this. I do. Yes. We are heading down the road of something I'm really exciting about, which is tackling an entire season of a killing affair in one episode. Yep. We have five boxes, five episodes to play. And we've got to get our solving minds in gear if we're going to solve this. My Scooby-Doo thought process is about to kick in. The Spidey sense, the tingling. (laughs) My Scooby-Doo sense, yes. It's always the butler. Yeah, but sometimes... Okay, let's let's be real. It generally is the butler, but there's sometimes that they really try to show that it's like the wife. And obviously, but that's obviously like the trick. It's never the wife. Sure. But it could be the little kid because you never expect the little kid. to. Sure. They could meta us into a butler. They could meta us into it was us the entire time. I'm so tired of being the bad guy. Why is it that every game recently (laughs) which the bad guy? I don't know. We're the good guys, you guys. We love all of y'all. Before we get into a whole mystery narrative divergence we're gonna get out of here Mm -hmm. thank you so much for listening we'll catch you next time see you guys thanks for listening find us on social media at puzzling company and online at puzzlingcompany.com check back weekly for new episodes until next time keep puzzling this has been globe media network podcast